So Money episode 1253, Allison Task, author of A Year of Self-Care Journal, 52 Weeks to Cultivate Positivity and Joy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Living in a big old house, you've got that sort of Damocles, like, ugh, the windows, ugh, the slate roof, ugh, ugh, ugh. And take away 2,000 square feet and give me no worries. I'll make that deal. It wasn't the just the money. It was the contractors and the people in the house. And we just removed, all, like, when is the fridge going to break, right? We just removed all of that worry, those needly little things. So that we cleaned up. That felt really good. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for sharing your day with us. Today, we have back on the show a friend, Allison Task, who is a career and life coach, speaker, best-selling author. She has a new journal out that I thought would be fun to explore on this show. It's called A Year of Self-Care Journal, 52 Weeks to Cultivate Positivity and Joy. Throughout the pages, Allison shares prompts for learning holistic self-care through a year of positive journaling. You just heard her describe an example of the self-care she and her family took in the midst of the pandemic, which was downsizing, selling their home to rent a smaller home. And she is a mom of four kids and runs her own business. Might sound stressful to some, but you'll hear her describe the financial resiliency and calm that came with it. Allison's book has 52 guided prompts where each week she reveals a new self-care goal, a writing prompt, and off the page and into your life exercise. Her advice is road tested as she works with clients all over the world and includes many of her own personal experiences of how she is cultivating positivity and joy in her life, even in these times. Here's Allison Task. Allison Task, welcome back to So Money. How are you? Uh, I, am, I am good. I am so happy to be back here with you. Thank you. You're a, a bona fide friend of the show. You're a friend in real life, but I mean, I think you've been on at least three times. I've had your husband, Aaron Task, on the show as well. Thanks for always bringing the best content. I wanted to have you back because uh, you've got an incredible new offering to the world. It's a year of self-care journal. You wrote a new book, a journal for your audience and those of us who are trying to navigate life right now. Uh, your role, your full-time role is um, a career and life coach. You've guided thousands of clients through major transitions, work, family, personal endeavors, and you are also a best-selling author. Your latest endeavor, though, you wanted to write this journal, which is 52 Weeks to Cultivate Positivity and Joy. The overarching theme is self-care. Within that, financial steps, sleep steps. I reference that chapter a lot because or that week a lot. I'm like, am I am I sleeping in a 
in a dark room? Where's my iPhone? You know, like I, I think I'm, I'm checking off some of those boxes. I could probably do better in that department. But tell us why you wanted to write a journal this time. Your last book was Personal Revolution. We should mention we want to plug that, how to be happy, change your life into the thing you've always wanted to do. But this one is a journal. Tell us why. You know, let me just say in personal revolution, there was a journal component without enough space. So let's just say I learned and and um, I wanted to do better in this next iteration, which is really self-care, right? Always trying to learn from your experiences and make it better the next time. But th- this specific focus of this is a journal. So in my work as a coach, I always try to make sure I'm speaking I don't know, definitely less than 50% of the time, hopefully closer to 20% of the time. My work is in facilitating other people's thoughts, right? Your growth and creativity is in direct response sometimes to the quality of the question that is asked of you and the ability for someone to listen. So I give people space. This is a book filled with prompts, interesting prompts. You're still thinking about my sleep prompt, right? Interesting prompts and then the space to reflect. I'm thinking of right now, Oprah, I think Oprah's Super Hold, Super Soul Sunday podcast is like, I believe in people giving themselves time. And so for me, it's like, I want people to have the space to reflect. Mm-hmm. Down so many quick ideas, right? Instagram, bop, bop, bop. oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a- Now open yourself up to really pursuing it. So that's to me what a journal does. A journal with the thoughtful prompt. Yes. Because given just a blank book to journal in, that works for some people. People just like that practice of writing and and letting, uh, releasing some of the, the thoughts that they've had during the day. It's very cathartic. It helps them process. But if you need the help to kind of know what to, like, I don't know what I don't know. Right. So what, what, what should, what should I be focusing on? And you do that very, very well for everybody in your book. And I want to get to some of the prompts, specifically the financial prompts in a moment, but you do a, a really important thing of defining self-care in the beginning of the book. We're at a point in our world where self-care, I feel like, you know, everybody understands that everyone's heard of it. A lot of us are practicing it or think we're practicing it. How do you define self-care? What are some of the things you want us to be thinking about that we might be overlooking in the category of self-care? I really like, believe it or not, the the World Health Organization has a definition of self-care that I put in my book. Um, And they see it as a global necessity, right? So this isn't like pampering for the 1%. This is a this is self-advocacy. This is so what they say is the fundamental principles of self-care include aspects of the individual, self-reliance, empowerment, autonomy, personal responsibility, and self-efficacy, as well as the greater communities, community participation, involvement, empowerment. So they see self-care as uh, standing up for yourself, right? Autonomy, efficacy, those are all forward movements, right? Self-care isn't like retreating into a bubble bath only, right? There's the agency, Mm -hmm. action, and the repair. Sometimes I think we talk about self-care as repair without the agency and the action that's vital, right? Self-care is, you know, our our friend also, I guess, the podcast, Rachel Wyman, just ran her first Ironman years after a horrible bike accident training that ripped open her leg and stomach, right? Right. An Iron Man, while she runs a business, single mom in a community during a pandemic. What? Right? So self-care is going after it and running that Iron Man and then chilling out afterwards, having some birthday cake. 
Um, it's both of those things, not just the repair side. It's also the action side. Also, as part of that definition from who is community involvement. Um, that means volunteering. That means stepping in with all of the things going on now. Someone needs your help. You're better off than someone somewhere and they could use the support. So that that community involvement honestly really touched a nerve and changed my life while writing this book and set me up for a very different life this year. I want to sit in this space for a little bit longer. I, lo I love how you're defining self-care because as I'm hearing these examples, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they require a price tag. They don't require expending money. And, and that's against a lot of what we see in the self-care industry. You talked about Instagram, right? Like if you scroll on there long enough, you're going to be convinced that you need to buy all these things in order to have the perfect joyous life and to protect yourself and to be good to yourself. And so can you talk about that push-pull of there's all this stuff we need to practice self-care versus the things that we can do that, frankly, are, are free, uh, but it really does require prioritizing? Mm -mm -mm. It, it, it sort of comes back to the whole point of having a journal, right? The most valuable thing that every single person has is time, right? And that is limited. And that is how you choose to spend, right? Uh, Robert Kiyosaki says, I can make it another dollar, but I can't make another day. Yeah. So that's super true, right? My baby is one, one for 365 days and then there are two. Two is awesome also, but if you want to squeeze the marrow, squeeze the marrow, squeeze the juice, <laughs> the marrow. if you want to get the good stuff, you have to be really intentional with your time. And that doesn't cost anything. It's just where you want to focus your attention. Right. Yep. That's what we're doing. Focusing our attention. It's not wine. It's not a bubble bath. It's not an extravagant getaway. You know, <laughs> there's um, there's a peony outside of the Starbucks on Valley Road. And um, I can spend a lot of time staring at that peony. I've got really nice flowers in my backyard. I'm in love with my three little geraniums I bought on sale at Home Depot. I nurture the shit out of those geraniums because they just keep making flowers. It's amazing. Now, I did buy them on sale. It was like $9.99 a geranium. But I cannot tell you the hours of enjoyment I get nurturing, caring for, and watering. And then I just stare at the beautiful pink on the blue sky, right? Yeah. $9.99 investment. It gives me the whole summer and hours I've spent staring at them, taking care of them, loving them, and they love me right. back, right? Right. You clearly live in a part of Montclair where there are no deer. Uh, I, I, I also bought, I bought mums from Home Depot. First thing I did when I moved into my house. The next day, I was so I was so happy. I was thrilled. They were gorgeous. They were overflowing. Next day, destroyed. Yeah. So Farnoosh, that's part of the reason why I moved. I moved from Deer Montclair <laughs> to Deer Free Montclair. Um, yeah. So do you know what we did when we lived in Deer Montclair? Because this is relevant. While living living in the Deer Raccoon Turkey Zone, um, I didn't buy any flowers. That's daft, as you learned. But mm -hmm. I loved watching the wildlife. Someone once came and threw corn all over my driveway to attract turkeys in September. But like, if that's what you got to watch, there's a whole section on going out and finding nature yeah. in your neighborhood. Finding oh, cool. Okay. I mean that sincerely. Work with what you have. Work with what you have. You practice what you preach. You were inspired to write this journal, partly not from just your work and your client experiences, but also your own pursuit of self-care in the pandemic, a mom of four, running your own business, like many families things I, I can attest in my own life too started to unravel 
Is that a fair word? Unraveling. What were some of the immediate steps you took to bring back some sense of normalcy and um, agency, right? Because that's what also we lost. We felt like we lost our ability to even execute upon some choices because like decisions were just being made for us. You couldn't send your kids to school. You couldn't go back to work in an office. You wouldn't want to leave your home without the you know, taking on serious precautions. And so what's what's even the point? Those limitations really put a lid on things. And if you've got a busy household with a lot of different needs to meet, that can be uh, very eruptive. So there were, there, were, there were a couple key self-care things that happened um, last year and, and actions that were taken. So self-care is maintenance, right? So you've got to see like when things are starting to unravel, like my geraniums, yeah, they dip a little. I got to deadhead it, remove it, let a new one grow, right? So in the beginning of the pandemic, my husband and I were both working, sharing childcare. That didn't work for anybody, Right. And so we sort of had to reassess, what are we going to do here? It became a little bit easier to reassess when his position was eliminated. His job was to, believe this or not, open up a New York City bureau, a a journalistic bureau um, for a company called Seeking Alpha. And he was hired in February 2020, right? So like six weeks in, clearly he can't do that. And after a few months, they're like, "Eh, we're going to eliminate this. Of course, of course that makes sense, right? So when that happened we could be like, my God, we're losing money. Or we can say, cool, let's consolidate. He's going to focus on this part of your children who are at home who need care. And Allison, you go for it. You go back to work full-time because I was working part-time, right? So that gave me the ability to go in full-time. So it's just reassess. And in this case, we were caring for the system. We were caring for our home economy, money in, money out. Um, What would we feel good about? He's always been interested in being a stay-at-home dad. I don't know how many people actually decided that during a pandemic was the best time to, you know, pull that lever, but he did and he did it marvelously. So that was an act of caring for our system. My business thrived. He, our family's really good. Our kids are, you know, emotionally healthy, which is what we're going for. Um, Also in the spirit of writing this book, I had written my last book in 2018. It was 2021. I was like, I think I need a new project, right? So this yeah. came up. I was like, let's do it. Let's go for it. I was invited by um, Callista to write the book. I was like, yeah, let's take it on. Let's do. Let's let's lift a little heavier weight this month. Mm-hmm. And so last February, March, April, May, right? I was I was writing this book, and it was hard. Then I asked for my partner's support. Like, hey, I'm going to spend Saturdays on this. I know I'm not around during the week. Are you behind me to do this? He's like, absolutely, and I'll edit it for you. So we took on more, if that makes sense. And and then- more of what you wanted to take on. Yes, that's the key. It doesn't feel like work in the sense of you know this drudgery when you feel like you are choosing your um, your day. You're choosing your how you're spending your day. We could spend a whole episode on the economics of your home and that shift and Aaron stepping in as uh, the stay-at-home parent, the full-time stay-at-home parent. Tell us a little bit about how you maneuvered through that big shift. I want to emphasize that self-care takes work and it sometimes takes stepping outside of your comfort zone. Although Aaron said he always wanted to do this, it's still like in a pandemic, as you said, like maybe not um, the the idealist of circumstances to to start practicing that. But what were some of the things you had to work through in order to get to cruise control eventually? I mean, it's emotional. It's like, it's like, you know, you're completely changing your role, where you're seeding your sense of self-worth, all of that. Right. And, and, you know, it's certainly a work in progress and we're always still adjusting. One thing we did is we sold our home 
Mm. And we downsized, right? I moved from the deer section to the geranium section. So we downsized. We probably lost a thousand square feet and we're very happy to say goodbye because we hated the maintenance and the effort and the work. We wanted to shrink, right? We sold our house after um, learning of his job and moved from a, I don't know, 3,500 square foot apartment to an eight home to an 800 square foot apartment. So we literally shrunk it down to the essentials. I remember going through this um, with you, like texting, you know, the decision-making process. And I know that there were moments where you were hesitant, doubting, of course, like it's a big, big financial move and, and life move. But I was like, Allison, you know, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> like just, just think about going to bed, knowing you have so much cash in the bank, which in that moment of time was everything. Mm-hmm. Like talk about having financial resilience. Yeah. And you know what, Furnish? It's so funny. It was what we were looking at more was the taxes we wouldn't be paying and the home repair costs we wouldn't be repaying. Because living in a big old house, you've got that sort of Damocles, like, oh, the windows, oh, the slate roof, oh, oh, oh. And take away 2,000 square feet and give me no worries. I'll make that deal. It wasn't the just the money. It was the contractors and the people in the house. And we just removed, all, like, when is the fridge going to break, right? We just removed all of that worry, those needly little things. So that we cleaned up. That felt really good. Let's talk about financial resiliency. I brought up the term. It's a quote in your book and it's a prompt in your book. You very eloquently write about this, how to mind your self-care from a financial standpoint with the goal of making an honest assessment of your financial situation. Can you walk us through some of that? It's week seven, by the way. So you hit this really early on in the journal, perhaps also intentional. Uh, But tell us a little bit about what you want people to think about when you ask them the question, what does being financially resilient mean to you? Right. We already kind of heard about what that means to Allison. You know, sometimes it means downsizing so that you can shore up not just money, but relief in your life and creating less stress in your life, using your money to buy less stress (laughs) in your life. So it's really interesting. And this has been coming up a lot with my kids lately. Um, my sons are eight and my my daughter is seven. And so, you know, this weekend we were going to go do a ropes course and I looked at it and it was like 250 bucks. Do I have the 250 bucks? I sure do. But we could also go to the lake and be on a canoe and all of those things are, you know, capital investments we've already made. So I was like, you know, I don't know that that's where we want to spend our money. So to me, being aware of how much you have, how much you can make, and then have a plan for meeting the basics and then having that extra for the cushion. We're going to Rochester next weekend. So I was like, oh, we could use that money for a water park. We could use that money for Niagara Falls and go do Made of the Mist. I'd rather use that money there. And I want them to know their money is their choice. So my children, I give them allowances. They get birthday money. I let them spend it. Um, my son just bought a Nintendo Switch. After three Ooh. weeks, he said, he saved up 300 bucks. Wow. After three weeks, he's like, I don't really like it and I don't play with it. Can oh. I return it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Less screen time. Yes, of course. Right? Because he knows now he can go and get something else. So after three weeks, he realized the gift wasn't all he thought it would be, the gift he gave himself. So mm-hmm. resiliency is... Um, Knowing where your money is and how it's working for you. So having that plan and then tweaking, trimming, modifying 
and having all of that as your foundation so that when stuff happens, we readjust, but we are just like a thick rubber band. We pull out, we come back, right? Resiliency is that like, it's not a drama. I'll figure it out. My husband plowed into a hydrant. We deal with it. It's fine. The car's not totaled. Insurance will get involved. It's fine. Um, our basement flooded during the storms. That's interesting. Lied to us in the seller's disclosure. Okay. Call some lawyers, figure out what we can do with that. Right. That, so it's just the resiliency of knowing you have the funds, you have the support, you have a plan so you can weather the storm. Have savings. And how much you need may require an assessment of your life and the risks that you take. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, that's a higher risk, arguably, than financially higher risk than uh, being someone who is a W-9 employee. Some, or sorry, what is it? W-2, W-4? I don't even know, right? That world again? I, I, I know I, I, this, but it's a joke because I, I keep someone email me. They're like on your podcast, you said W2, it's actually a W4 vice versa. And I was like, well, it may, I made my point. Like, I, I don't know these things. I'm, I'm relearning a uh, nine to five employee. Let's just say uh, they, could, they could lay you off. We always say if you're self-employed, a year's worth of bare bone expenses, you know, with the understanding that if your income drops for a year or you face a pandemic and you're in an event company or something like that, uh, that you can at least keep the lights on for a year. Cause it really, I mean, right now uh, it's taking people seven months on average, those who are on, on unemployment to get off unemployment, which, you know, we can only assume might mean they're, they got another job for others. It's, they decided to just never work again, I guess. But but for those of us who are on, on unemployment looking to seek another job, it's taking about seven months. And, and this is a healthy job market. Yeah. You know, can I make one other note on financial resiliency? People come to me to change careers uh, and other big changes in their life. I just had a client who came to me. She really wants to move from being an accountant to something totally different. She will need training in order to make that change. You can't be a therapist without a couple years of training, right? Training will be needed. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to spend the money. And I was like, okay. Nothing's going to change the reality that if you need, you want a job that requires that training, you have to do the training. After a couple of weeks, she's come around to, yeah, my husband and I discussed it. And she's an accountant, right? So she can look at the dollars and understand that. And so that's financial resilience, realizing that she's going to take a short-term dip for a long-term happiness investment, and the money's going to be about the same. She's not going to be making a killing. She probably won't even be making what she was making for the first 10 years. But her fiscal resiliency, she lives in a place where it's not keeping up with the Joneses, where she wants to be the role model to her children for life impact and happiness. And when you have the wherewithal to take that dip and choose to take that dip, right? Choose to go live in the 800-square-foot apartment, that's resiliency. When you feel like you can't change your lifestyle, that's not resiliency. That's a very brittle system. Mm-hmm. And if you're so attached to things or square footage, yeah, that's that's brittle. And so it's not just about money, right? It's about how expansive you can think and how how flexible you are willing to be. A lot of these um, 
stories are bringing up not just, oh, well, they had the money to make this transition, but they had the open-mindedness. They had the communication skills to talk about it. They also knew what was out there. I think that's important. You know, if you live such a closed-minded and literally closed-in life where you don't travel or you don't hang out with people that are different than you, you don't read (laughs) the news, you don't, you know, you don't, um, I mean, I, I, there are times in my life where I felt really closed in, you know, after having a kid for for example, and being home all the time. So my, I had to make an actual move to go and like go to events and, you know, join a mastermind and yeah, sometimes get uncomfortable, but this is how I learned, you know, this is how I learned how to build workshops. I learned how to start a podcast because I literally went to a conference six months after having a kid three months after having a kid and had a light bulb moment there. So it's about knowing what your options are, but in order to know those options, you have to also get out there and that's financial resilience. It's part of it. Yes. And that's part of self-care. Yeah. Not soothing the burn, but getting burnt, putting yourself out there, learning new things. Hey, it's really hard to go to a conference three months yeah. after you had a kid. You made it a priority. That was part of your agency and efficacy and self-care. <laughs> I draw the line at uh, running over hot stones or, or like running on fire. Like, do you ever go to this Tony Robbins event where he makes people uh, run across like burning stones? This is when my friend and I left the event. We were like, our boundaries have been crossed and <laughs> we, will, we will be at the Ramada Inn across the street eating bottomless nachos. That is, that, that, this is where our, you know, Tony Robbins event ends. That was many years ago. I know that he's been uh, scandalized since. Uh. <laughs> my own personal example of that is cold water. I don't like cold water and I've been making it my business to, to start plunging, right? So maybe it's not the hot stones, it's the uh, water. Or Takis. Oh my God, my family had a Taki eating contest. Taki? What's a Taki? You're welcome. Not a taco, but a Taki. It's the the hottest new chip since a Frito. You're welcome. A Taki. Taki. Taki mm. chips? Okay, I'm, I'm Googling. I'm Googling. Oh, I've seen these. I've seen these at the store. I'm telling you. They don't look like anything I would want to give my kids. No, only as punishment. Oh, they're spicy. The best way to get a child to not eat your food is to tell her it's spicy, I have discovered. And then they're like off. You can tell them that the uh, the Sour Patch Kids are actually spicy and they won't eat it. Be like, this is a That's spicy batch. Tip. That's a good tip. Yep. You're welcome. Hey, one thing I want to say on the subject of resiliency, um, a book I read not long ago was Hans Rosling's book called um, – I just forgot the book's name. Hans Rosling's book called Factfulness, Factfulness. Um, Melinda Gates mentioned it in in her book and I got into it and he's like the happiest little statistician in the world. And he looks at how the world is changing for better or for worse. And by all measures, except for climate change, the world is getting better. Women's rights, healthcare, child mortality, education, on, I, I think, like eight, 19 of, of 20 measures, could be 16 of 20. It, by most measures, the world's getting a lot okay. better. And yet, we are so unbelievably privileged, it's hard to measure it, right? A, a, a billion people in the world have their feet as their mode of transportation. Two, another billion have a bicycle. Two billion might get a moped. But only a small amount have cars, right? We think, well, like, like, I don't know, maybe a third of the world has cars. False. Once you start realizing how most of the world lives, you realize we are far more capable than we mm-hmm. realize. Mm-hmm. We're just so damn privileged, we lose sight of it. Yeah. 
Um, I think it was Jay-Z who said there's always another level up. My mother always said there's always a level down. Nice. And that was how we were raised. It was like, you know what? You can shoot for the stars and we will encourage you to reach all your ambitions, but never forget daily that what you have is exponentially more than most people. There's always a lower level. And I think that was uh, training, early training in self-care. <laughs> Amen. That's fiscal res- resiliency. She's reminding you that you're okay. Yeah. To be a little bit grateful for that in her own you know, poetic way. But, but that helps you realize, um, A, you're responsible, B, you're grateful, and C, and you could be okay with far less. Sure. Allison Task, thank you so much. Your journal is a year of self-care journal, 52 weeks to cultivate positivity and joy. It's always a pleasure. And I'd love to have you back for maybe an Ask Farnoosh and Allison as uh, the season unfolds. More people are, this is a real trend, you know, people thinking about transitioning their careers, leaving their jobs. You're dealing with it every day, talking to people about that. And it's certainly on the top of minds of listeners. So maybe we can come back and, and dedicate an episode to helping people through those major career decisions. Amazing. What's what's the recent stat on how many people are changing jobs this year? Well, depends. You know, there's a lot of different surveys. I, I always am referencing the Microsoft study. It was a global study. And they said 41% of workers are in 2021 thinking about leaving their posts, their jobs. And I mean, we see it. It's more evidenced in retail. And I mean, if you live just around town, like Everyone's understaffed. Some businesses are just closed for weeks on end because they can't, they need to give their staff a break because everybody is overwhelmed. They, there's help wanted signs everywhere. But even I'm talking like white collar jobs, those are also uh, people are really reconsidering. It's been a minute. This pandemic has definitely made us rethink wow. our life's choices. Let's do a Q&A on what to think about when you're making that change. I would love that. Yeah. All right. Listeners, think about your questions. Always, you know, you can send them in. On Instagram, you can go on the website. You can email me, farnooshatsomoneypodcast.com. That episode coming soon. Allison, thanks again. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thanks to Allison for joining us. Her website is allisontask.com. Her book, A Year of Self-Care Journal, is available everywhere. And send us your questions for when Allison is back to talk about the transitioning that many of us may be going through this year and next involving our careers, our professional ambitions, all of it. See you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.